0: This is leadership in action and i'm mark Stiles, your host join me as we delve deep into the passions expertise and experiences of boston area innovators sponsored by the boston chapter of entrepreneurs organization this is leadership in action hey folks welcome back to leadership in action your boston chapter of eos podcast today's guest is a specialist in a wide range of business and technical areas, including IFRS, financial instruments, credit, risk, Basel, capital, regulatory compliance, financial reporting, derivatives, and credit decision-making, just to name a few. And he thinks all that's boring. Who's ever said that before about what they do? Guilty. Since 2008, he has been actively involved in building businesses, investing capital, advising companies, expanding businesses into international jurisdictions, and building intellectual property. FinTech, anyone? I got another acronym for you, KYC. Know your customer, huge in the banking industry, so anyone who does any banking, you might wanna pay attention. He is a highly experienced trainer and to date has trained over 12,000 people on a wide range of topics. And I'm excited to talk with him about some of the new futuristic methods of relaying information as he is going to share with us a different way of teaching. He's a new member to our chapter here at EO. So when you see him, go say hello. But he's been with EO for some time now out of the South Africa chapter. He's the CEO of Gray Matter Thinking. He's also a co-founder of Doc Fox. Please meet Richard Cohen. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks very much, Mark. Good to be here. So, Richard, what is the most valuable lesson you've ever learned while running a business?
1: <laughs> it's a very big and difficult question. Yeah, um, I think certainly one of the most important lessons I've learned is almost everyone we meet is a knowledge worker. And our ability to not just absorb knowledge, but apply it in practical ways is critical to success. So it puts a lot of emphasis, I think, on not being able to find information, but being able to assimilate it, uh, digest it, and then use it in in novel and practical ways. And so the insight is that um, the way that things are explained, how they're broken down, affect people's ability to apply them in a novel way. And so what I've seen is the significant impact of how content is relayed and how that then changes the way that people understand what they do and what they can do and how able they are to adapt to the ever-changing business
0: environment. Wow. Okay. So explain what you mean
1: by relaying the information. So a lot of what I've done for, for my career has been taking relatively complex content and trying to digest what it means and how to then relay it in practical ways. So if you're looking for an example of that, a lot of the content that you spoke about in the beginning is, is inherently boring. Uh, Because it is technical, because it's esoteric, because it's very applied, because it's industry specific. And the question is, what can you extract from that that you can use in a practical way?
0: So I've always said that I believe the definition of brilliance is the ability to take something really complicated and simplify it. Is that what we're talking about here? Absolutely. That's exactly it. So you're brilliant. I love that. So, so <laughs> I wouldn't say that. So tell me Those how you your words, not mine. I know that it's on it's on record. They are mine, um, and I had the privilege of meeting you and pre calling. So I've already made that determination. The listeners can can make that determination as we go. So
1: how does one do that effectively? I think the the answer is you have to start with uh, immersing yourself into the difficulty of the content. So making sure that you truly understand it Mm -hmm. and that requires you to be fairly humble and slightly naive when you approach a topic. I think one of the most common mistakes when people approach difficult content is to assume that the person you're speaking to knows what you know and shares the language that you use. And that's very rarely the case. So, so when I approach things, particularly for the first time, I do it as a novice. Uh, and in most cases, I genuinely am a novice. I'm a novice as, as, as flawed as any other. Um, but I approach it to say, "What what's this really saying and how do I apply it? So what I might do is I might read something and then try and calculate it. So put it in a spreadsheet. I might I might read something and start thinking through worked examples, what that might mean. I might think about it in a visual way to say, well, what would that look like in a graph? Um I might try and apply it in the, in the context of our current environment. So a lot of what I try to do is to think a little bit more deeply about the content. To say, what does it practically mean when they use those words? And that often breaks down uh, the barriers to understanding. Because then I'm not accepting terminology because it's been used. I'm not assuming that the person that, um, that I'm going to speak to is going to know what I mean when I say certain things. And that forces me to empathize with their position and try and break down the content as I would want to receive it as the naive recipient who doesn't understand the content just just yet. So that's an interesting um,
0: concept. How do you know how that person wants to receive it? So for example, each of us learn differently, right? Some are much better at reading. Some are... Better at listening, me and some are are visual. So, how do you know
1: how to deliver that information to that learner? A lot of that is I don't know. Um, I know there are different ways of delivering content, and what I try and do is to read the the audience, and that's actually very easy to do. Uh, people really give, give signals all the time. Um, I'm going to know, and so are you when somebody's not quite following or, um, or is bored because they've already got the content and they want you to move on. So I think, I think it's trial and error. Uh, I do try and think through what's the best way to disseminate the content. Um, and sometimes it'll lend itself more towards something visual or numerical or, uh, or uh, illustrative um, or to using an analogy. But often I don't know. But what I can do is see whether when people get stuck, is there a different adventure way? Uh, And sometimes I'll just mess it up. I'll try and explain something. I'll go, well, that didn't land. It didn't land for me. It could possibly have landed for them. And I'll do it again. Um, And I think some of that is being being conscious that your delivery is not going to be great. Um, and, And then trying it again. And sometimes that's from feedback from the audience, and sometimes it's because I know I just did a bad job. Yes, and I've got to catch it, catch it quickly, and remediate it. How do you best learn? I think I think in a multivariate way. Okay, what I mean by that is uh, I want to approach it from different perspectives. I think I'm probably more visual than any other way, but I'm not sure that it's useful to pigeonhole. Someone else or myself into a particular learning style. I'm not sure I believe in a style per se. Uh, the way to teach this person is that way, and the way to get this person to apply your knowledge is is, is this way. I think um, I think a holistic understanding of knowledge requires you to be able to access it in with different modes, um, and, and I'm trying to I'm trying to approach it from a number of different ways. Um, and I'm not implying I can understand you know, whatever's thrown at me, sometimes I'm just not going to get it, but my best chance of understanding it is probably to think through it in a couple of different ways and in a few levels of detail. Independently. Yeah, absolutely. And at my own pace, I think it's very easy to believe you understand something by listening to what someone else said um, and saying, as long as that made sense, I have understood. And that's wholly insufficient for understanding. Right. for you to understand it, you need to know how to apply it. That's really
0: interesting. How do you see the current core curriculum for K through 12 and into college doing? And,
1: and what would your advice to them be? I'm going to have a, a biased view, obviously, only of my experiences. As yeah. I went through school um, and to the extent that I can see what my children are being taught and how they're being taught it seems to me that it's very easy to slip through the cracks in schools. Um, and some of that is, is, is no fault of the school or the teacher. You've got a large number of kids with a, a wide dispersion of understanding. And um, it's quite difficult other than through regular testing to catch exactly where the breakdown is. You can see the results. You can see that some child understands better than another child. Uh, and maybe ha- above or below your your desired level however um, do they do they truly understand by your
0: definition or are they good at memorizing and regurgitating so that's a great
1: question um i think i think the challenge so, so memorizing is its own skill but it's got fairly limited application uh particularly because of technology um I think it's very easy to mask a lack of understanding by remembering what someone else said or probably more um, insidious is knowing a methodology and following it slavishly, but where you don't actually understand. And and I see that a lot in in my kids Mm. where they will approach particularly a math problem and I'll say, what are you doing? And they say, well, it's this particular type of problem, so I do that. But if you said, why is that the approach to solve this problem? They can't tell you. That's just the approach they've been taught. Mm. Um, and, and so I think to go back to your question, what is a useful um, check for the, for the teachers and the schools is whether this is the best way to ensure that the kids can understand the content and apply it. Um, And that's quite a difficult thing to do without sometimes rethinking the entire syllabus and content. Um, There's a tried and tested way it works, and it works uh, well enough, but could it work better? Um, And it's quite difficult to make those sorts of changes because sometimes you need to reimagine the way that you relay information entirely. You need to break it down and start again, probably from a a different perspective. So what would you do differently in your... Children's classrooms. So firstly, if I was in my children's classrooms, they'd never listen to me. <laughs> yes, indeed. Understood. I would be the worst teacher for them because <laughs> what, do, what do your parents know? They know nothing. Yes. Um, if, if kids of my, my children's age were hmm. in a classroom, um, I, I think I might uh, approach some of the specific content slightly differently. And the example that you and I spoke about before was accounting. Mm-hmm. Now, accounting is not a prescribed subject to the schools, but it is, it, it is taught and certainly was taught in, in South African schools uh, as an optional topic. And the schools spend five years teaching children uh, what is basic bookkeeping mm-hmm. um, with a little bit extra. Um, and that content can be taught very quickly, but in quite a different way. And so we, we built something that teaches accounting uh, using an entirely different methodology, which is particularly Colors and visuals and tools, because if you can see the accounting as opposed to just read the process, you'll have a far more holistic understanding of what's happening. You can see yourself doing something like posting a journal, and it's no longer a recordal of a transaction in a particular way, but rather you can see the visual effect of a transaction and, and you can why. physically interact with it. You will then know why. That's exactly it. You will know why it is as it is. And they teach that in South African high schools? No. They don't they teach, teach it account. that way. They teach the topic. They teach the topic of accounting. At least they the methodology they use is <laughs> But the methodology they use is, is extremely cumbersome and uh, it doesn't seem to have changed very much. Um, and that approach is paid by numbers. You do this and then you do that. It's very much about a methodology that gets taught. But they're missing the why, which maybe is the answer to some of your earlier questions. If you start off with why, a lot of the rest becomes easier. Why are we studying this? I I will say that kids of
0: um, the education age do ask those questions all the time. Certainly, we as parents... (laughs) Can't answer it sometimes. Why are we learning this? Well, I've experienced my 53 years and I have not, not sure why you are learning that. So I can't answer that question, but the why is so, so
1: obviously important. Yeah. So, so let's do something. Okay. Uh, live and ask you why do children study physics? To
0: build a foundation for a further, furthering career in something scientific. And, uh, you know, it's a foundational class to
1: excel further in a specific science. And then the question from that becomes how compelling was what you just said? Not very. Mm-hmm. And I think I agree. I'm not criticizing you, by the way. It's, it's not a bad answer at all. But if you empathize with a child, and you say, the reason you're studying this is that this is a stepping stone to something else that you mm-hmm. do want. Or not. It's a very weak, yeah, that you do or don't want, or might possibly want, but certainly you're not committed to right now. Even if you are committed to the outcome, it's still a weak offer. It's still a weak promise. Well, so it's if better, if it's better. it's better than
0: because it's part of the core curriculum and you need to take this is. class in order to graduate.
1: It is. Right? But if we thought of a continuum of, it's prescribed, you must do it, all the way to something which we'll discuss in a second, where does it's a stepping stone to another benefit come in? And it's probably quite close to the it's prescribed you must do it. Correct. Because inherent in that is actually a promise already, which is if you do this, you will pass, you will get through school, and they inherently know that's a good thing. So you're still quite close to telling them what they already know, which is it's a stepping stone and it's something on a path to something else. But that is not a very good promise, and that isn't very enticing. Well, it's, it's similar to if you memorize this, you'll do well on the test. Yeah. And you're relying on the in, inherent importance of the test in their mind. Mm. And that's also fairly weak. So I guess my point is there's a sales job to be done and you can't do that sales job until you really understand what this discussion uh, offers them. And what if we could instead say to that child that if you understand physics, you will understand the vast majority of everything happening around you. It's a key to true understanding wisdom of everything. Have you ever wondered how does your microwave heat up your food? How is it that you can hear the radio? Why do you slip on the ice? Why don't you fall through your chair? Why are we attracted to the sun? Why are we, why are we moving around the sun? What causes that? And, and so they may say things like, I know that already, it's gravity. But what is gravity? Mm-hmm. And they may say, well, it's a force. That's it. That's not yet interesting. Those are just words you're throwing at me. What is it that causes us to be attracted to things with mass? And there's a whole interesting discussion about what gravity actually is. And why would something that has got more mass attract something? What feature is there? And if you can start to unpack and you start thinking about all the chemical reactions that happen around you and the physical reactions that happen around you, that physics is the key and chemistry is the key to understanding the entire world. And if that is in your hands, and I can show you that this is the key to that, that's a lot more interesting. But what you've got to do is show them the practical benefit to them so that they're excited. How do I excite you? So I
0: would much rather have taken physics from you than from my high school physics teacher, right? So there, there's that. So is, is it also a passion-driven issue where the person relaying the information has lost any level of passion and, and simply delivers
1: instead of relays? I'll say it differently or answer it slightly differently. I think I do a much better job of relaying information when I genuinely am passionate about it. And, and, and I need to love the things that I'm going to discuss. And you can probably tell already I get animated. I can't help myself when I speak about certain topics. Now, I've never taught physics in my life, but it's a very interesting topic. And I would uh, teach it with, with, with um, pleasure to anyone who will listen to me because I feel passionate about it, And I feel the same way about business and the same way about finance and the same way, funny enough, about accounting. Uh, even though most people think it's boring. But if I can tell you what's in it for you, if you understand accounting or you understand banking or you understand how the financial markets work or derivatives, um, you'll you'll feel very differently about it. And I'll explain things to you because it is genuinely fascinating. And then I might earn the rights to, to, to have your attention. And the what's in it for me, that's
0: the sales component of what you're talking mm. about. Mm, mm. And why, on, why do I want to listen to this? Why mm, do I want to understand this? Do I need to add this to what's already
1: in my head? Exactly. And especially on, on, on business pieces, which I guess is slightly more relevant. If you have got a passion for business um, and you're able to find a reason why someone should allocate their time and attention to a particular topic, they'll, they'll experience it differently. And we've got to know what's in it for us. To allocate time to anything, especially because information is free and all the more so with AI. So that can never be, um, that can never be the driver. To obtain information, that shouldn't take your time. You can do with it with the click of a button, but to get understanding that you can apply for your benefits, that's an interesting discussion. Because it, it, going back,
0: there has to be a desire first and foremost Mm. to spend Mm. that time, to go to that click, to, to go down that rabbit hole on YouTube, to learn and learn and learn, and then head over to Khan Academy or whatever it is business wise, reading the books and digging deeper and growing. You have to have that
1: desire first and foremost. Yeah. And be able to, to, to relay that to other people so they can try and, um, and become enthusiastic too about the about the area otherwise, it's boring, isn't mm. it?
0: Yes, and I think that's the that's the issue with education right now is that it's mm. it's being relayed in a way that is boring to the masses. and if we mm. can have people like yourselves with the with the why and the sales and the different way of relaying it, I mm. think we would all benefit. I know we in America would benefit if every school was teaching some form of basic accounting, which it's not. There's something. Uh, there's a bill here in Massachusetts where they're hoping that every school will require it for graduation. It is not a requirement right now, and it's mm. it creates uh, crisis as people become adults and don't understand the basic fundamentals, and nor have they had the desire to dig in and and learn it. And it if would I say to you. Them so much money and stress if they had if they had learned
1: some of these simple accounting the, the fact that most people who are in in some kind of business and that doesn't have to be an entrepreneur in eo that could be a, a dentist um it can be um anybody providing services it, it could be somebody who owns uh, a, a, a hairdressing salon anybody who is in the business of generating cash other than through salary, would benefit significantly from an accounting education. It doesn't mean they have to be a CPA, but just to be given some of the core methodology to think through financial transactions and their implication. It can be applied in so many different ways. And so how do so many people go into business, including most entrepreneurs, without what is probably the most powerful skill set available? And it's accessible. And so what does accounting do if we did the sales pitch? Now, what's in it for an entrepreneur to understand accounting? Well, it's a rigorous, easily digested framework to understand the full financial implications of everything you may do in a business, every single transaction. So if you get that framework in place, you will make better decisions. You'll make more consistent decisions. You'll be able to track the progress that you're making towards the end result you're trying to drive. You will understand how the series of transactions that happen in the business on a daily basis roll up into an aggregate result. You'll know how to understand the difference between profitability and cash flows. You'll understand how to forecast into the future. You'll know how to create a budget. You'll know how to understand how you're performing against that budget. You'll know what your financial statements may look like, which your bank may then use. And you'll know how to drive the value of your business in the event that you ultimately sell it. And if there's a framework that does all of that for you and it's accessible, why wouldn't you allocate the time to doing that? Because I promise you, ChatGPT can never do that for you. Right. And what a blind
0: spot that is, not having that knowledge base. You end up spinning your wheels, wondering why your annual plan is exactly the same as it was last year, finger in the wind.
1: Mm. And sometimes the, the, the need for those skills is buried because if a business is doing well, then there's cash, hopefully, there's profits, hopefully, and you can continue doing the things you've always done. The question is, could you do better? And could you do better? And would it be easier to do better if you had some of those frameworks, which are rigorous and allow you to understand the financial implications? Of the key decisions you make on a day-to-day basis, how do you price, what markets do you enter, what do you invest in, how much inventory should you hold, what should your debtors' policies be, how much cash should you have in the bank, what could happen in a bad year or quarter or month, what's the maximum facility you need available to you for the downtimes, and the list goes on. How do you make all those decisions? It needs some kind of methodology and approach.
0: You need the knowledge base as opposed to simply
1: saying, oh, my accountant will handle it. That's mm, Absolutely. I hear so much of that. I have a CPA and therefore these are things they can take care of. No, if you're the entrepreneur, you need to own that. They're, they're there to help you, but you're the one making those key decisions day to day. And if the CPA is getting is helping you primarily with your records once the events have already taken place. That's too late. If you can anticipate what those results may look like as you make day decisions, you'll be far better as an entrepreneur.
0: So tell us uh, simplistically what your company, Gray Matter Thinking, and what your co-found
1: company, Doc Fox, what do they do? So so Gray Matter Thinking is a consulting and training business. And it's been working very heavily in um, typically more complex areas of business including both corporate and, and financial services banking in particular DocFox is a SaaS business and what it does is the account opening processes on behalf of accountable institutions so what that means is when a bank or a credit union or an asset manager or forex broker um Or any entity touches money, they're required by law to understand who their customer is Mm -hmm. and to perform various processes to make sure that when they're on board a customer, they understand the source of the income, that this person is the right kind of person to do business with. And to do that, a whole range of functionality is needed if you want to make that an efficient process, an enjoyable process for the customer and... Um, to do so in a highly compliant way. And so DocFox provides that end-to-end service for those institutions to be able to manage that entire process. Know your
0: customer. And the reason for that is to fight against money laundering and terrorism, funneling of funds.
1: Yes. Yes. There, There are many reasons. So the, the first thing is obviously an entity touching money wants to know who its customer genuinely is and it would like to be able to catch before they onboard a customer all of those bad actors that they wouldn't want in their ecosystem. Um, in addition to that, there are regulations requiring these institutions to comply and to make sure that they know who their customer is exactly for the reasons that you've spoken about. You don't want to be onboarding A customer, which is going to use your institution to launder money. You don't want to onboard a customer who is, um, who has not been appropriately vetted, for example, if they're politically exposed, you need to know that fact. You don't want to onboard a customer. Let's say it's a juristic entity, but not know which persons need to be, uh, vetted. So to work out who are the ultimate beneficial owners of a structure. For example a trust if you onboard a trust as a legal entity who are those beneficiaries so if you don't know who to who to vet you're going to do an inefficient job and a poor job of making sure that the people that can use your your services are only those actors you want involved in your business that you want as your own customer
0: so when you onboard a customer and let's say it's a trust or it's a corporate entity at what ownership level must they show themselves?
1: Is it 20%? Ah, oh, so that, that's, that is a, that's a great question. So, the, the, the key question is going to be not so much uh, a bright line between when you do or don't need to be vetted. The, the question is um, who ultimately is driving or participating in the entity that you're on board? So what you'd have to do is it's is, is fairly complicated sometimes if there's a complex uh, interwoven legal structure. You've got companies that may in turn own other companies, and some of those companies may in turn be owned by trusts, mm-hmm. and some of the beneficiaries may be in different jurisdictions. So you've got quite a lot to do as an entity to onboard this particular say, company because you must understand that corporate ownership structure and then who ultimately sits behind that structure. And to do that, in turn, you may need to perform KYC processes, your customer processes, on human beings that live in other countries or multiple countries or foreign entities that own shares in local entities. And so if, for example, we think about sanctions lists, you may have a company which is in a jurisdiction that you don't want any exposure to. If that company, in turn, owns uh, shares in a company that you're onboarding, that may be a sufficient red flag for you that you would not want to onboard on that entity no matter the percentage of ownership. So what the regulations require is for you to apply a risk-based approach that you can risk rate your customers and work out where you need to perform an enhanced due diligence to take additional steps and processes to make really sure that this is the kind of customer you want. And a red flag to take enhanced, um, an enhanced due diligence would be Ownership somewhere in that structure in a country that you don't want to touch that is on a sanctions list.
0: Got it. So, so let me ask you this, Richard, from from the entrepreneur's perspective, going into a banking situation, you know, this new type of uh, discovery can seem daunting, unnecessary,
1: annoying. You know, what do you say to those folks? The Banks are highly regulated entities, mm-hmm. um, and they face very severe consequences if they uh, if they do anything, in fact, that may tarnish their reputation. Um, so banks, in order to retain their license as a bank, are required to do a vast range of things. One of those is KYC, but there are many others. Mm-hmm. For example, maintaining adequate capital, maintaining adequate liquidity. Providing reporting to the regulator, um, maintaining appropriate accounting records, the list goes on. There are many, many things, including treating your customers fairly, that the bank must do by regulation and law to be permitted to to continue as a bank. And having worked on the other side, it's very, as much as it's frustrating for the consumer to have to go through these processes, for example, KYC, the bank has got to put up certain blockages to catch and filter out those customers that it doesn't want to have. So our job in DocBox is to make that as seamless as possible. So how do we increase the reliability of the process, improve the experience for the customer? So make it slick, make it enjoyable, make it quick, make it painless, make it very easy to get feedback, make it easy to remediate, and on the other side, for the for the institution, which may be a bank, or as it may be a, uh, an estate agent or an insurance company that's touching money, for the, from their perspective, to drop the risk significantly. And how they do that is through more comprehensive checks, which we offer, better data, which we enable them to access, better processes, which we put in place, um, quicker turnaround, and more automated flags and the ability to... Extract information from multiple sources, including what the customer told you, and to then triangulate them Mm. to see whether any anomalies pop up. So for the bank's uh, purposes, we can make the risk significantly lower and cheap. For the customer, we can make the experience better. But what you can't do is eliminate all friction, right? Because if you did that, the cost of that would be banks would be onboarding customers we're going to use the bank to launder money or to fund criminal operations um, or to expose the bank to reputation risks simply because they have a customer that they shouldn't have had in the first place. Interesting. You can't remove all friction. You can do the best
0: you can, but if you do, then you are it's a slippery slope from there.
1: Yeah, its it's certainly suboptimal to remove all friction because then anything goes. And that's the end of, of compliance. And there's a certain level of compliance that is absolutely critical to the survival of the bank uh, and, in fact, to the health of the economy and uh, as a key part in, in reducing crime. Right, right. And you, don't want, you want maximum friction for a criminal.
0: Exactly, exactly. Wow. So, Richard, you have a lot going on. Um, what, what, do you, what do you do for fun when you're when you're not simplifying
1: the complex or, or running around chasing my children so, yes. so that the part that. of what I do for fun is <laughs> is, is spending time with, uh, with family and friends obviously um, in terms of hobbies I, I love to read I love um, audible yes um, so I spend a lot of time listening to, to audio books uh, and, and on a wide range of topics that just I find very fulfilling um so I like to listen very broadly um, for, for for content. And I try and use every opportunity I get um, to play books. So I'm very rarely frustrated by waiting because I've always got these things with me. So I'm always ready to play something and continue with my book. So I'll do it while I'm running, which is another one of my hobbies. I find that very relaxing. I'll listen to a book and run. Uh, if I'm in the car and I'm not on the phone, I'll be listening to books. If I'm in a line waiting for something to happen, I'll do books. If there's something that I've got to do as a chore, uh, shoveling snow, I'll listen to a book. Very so cool. It's a fairly, fairly useful way to multitask and to make various, usually it, um, unpleasant experiences
0: pretty enjoyable. So other than Leadership in Action, do you listen to other uh, podcasts?
1: I've certainly listened to Leadership in Action. That's the same i i do i i'm i'm i tend to spend a lot more time though on on books books audio books uh, listening. listening to anything uh impactful right now i mean I, I i listen to a lot impactful i'm actually right now listening to a book on on memory oh cool um which i which i find very interesting uh but but you'll see very little trend in the kinds of uh books that i listen to but if i open up the app at the moment uh which i always have always have on me yeah um it's uh it's a, it's a very broad range of things, um, but I, I suppose one of the most common ones I listen to actually is, is, is science. And I have nothing to do with science. Uh, interesting. Just, it's a topic I'm interested in, um, but uh, a lot on business. Uh, uh, some, some, something on music. Again, I'm not at all musical, but I find it very um, interesting to listen to the, the theory behind music. Mm. Um, not that I can actually play it myself. Um, some some works on history, some biographies. Uh, so I find a lot of that interesting. And then, as I said, in terms of other hobbies, uh, I enjoy um, physical um, hobbies. So uh, gym, uh, so lifting weights and, and running, quite a lot of running.
0: Curiosity. It's fun to hear that you're listening to things that that are interesting to you. And it's not, you know, specifically to what you're doing and sharpening the saw of what you're doing on a daily, it's science. And I don't do anything with science yet. It's curiosity. That's amazing. Um, looking forward to seeing you. I'm going to see you tonight, which this will be recorded uh, and, and produced later, but we're heading to see Dr. Gary Chapman uh, and the author of five love languages. So that ought to be really interesting. So folks, if you, if you see Richard at the upcoming events, uh, say hello to him. You know him
1: now. So Richard, if someone wanted to connect with you, how would they best do that? I can give you my number and an email address. So my email is rcohen, R-C-O-H-E-N, at Thinking, G-R-E-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R, com, And my mobile, 781-809-1260. 781-809-1260. Always happy to connect and I'm sure you're on LinkedIn as well. Definitely. Yep. Cool.
0: I'll connect with you there. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to Becca and the team at Ringmaster putting this out there. And it will be in the show notes, folks. So those those links will be in the show notes. So you don't have to get off the treadmill or stop your walk or your shoveling. Uh, you can push on through after the fact. Richard, this has been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing you catching up further. I appreciate you sharing your time, your knowledge, and your wisdom with us. Thank you so much, Mark. Great to spend time with you. And folks, thanks for listening. We appreciate you very much. I hope you learned something today. I I sure did. And if you thought of somebody, please share this with them. Shoot, share it with anyone. Thank you all very much. This has been another wonderful episode of Leadership in Action, your Boston chapter of EO's podcasts. We will see you next time. See you, Richard. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.